Just a few days before, he had seemed quite reluctant to get involved. He was there because he had been invited. His mother, though, seemed to have, to have had a big role to play in the event of that day. She was making sure that everything would go on without a hitch. But there was a hitch. The wine, you see, ran out at a wedding at Cana in Galilee. When Mary rushed to him and said, they have no wine, he replied, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But he did perform a miracle and turned water into wine. That resulted in one of the best weddings that had ever taken place in Cana. He saved the bridegroom from certain disgrace in that shame culture of the time. According to John, Jesus showed his glory through this miracle. A few days later, Passover was near, and Jesus went to Jerusalem with his disciples. It was the largest religious celebration with Jews traveling far and near to give thanks to God in remembrance of the great deliverance from slavery that he had accomplished for their ancestors. As you can imagine, it involved a whole lot of sacrifices of animals. So the sheep and the cattle had to be available for sale, especially for those who had traveled to Jerusalem for the festival. And because people were also coming from different parts of the world, they needed to exchange their currencies to buy the animals for the sacrifices. So to say there was brisk business going on that day would be an understatement. The temple area that Jesus entered where the business was going on is not the temple proper or the sanctuary, but the outer court. Enter Jesus, and he was not at all pleased with what he saw there. He went to work immediately, and without so much as a word, he made a whip out of cords and drove the animals and the traders from the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers. He completely disrupted business that day. But although he completely disrupted business that day, we cannot say that he was anti-business. That was not the, the reason for his action. His action that day was not spontaneous either. He had gone there that day to do exactly what he did. He took everybody by surprise, and he meant business. The traders were so stunned, they couldn't utter a word of protest. They couldn't resist. What with Jesus with whip in hand? Maybe there was financial corruption going on in this business of selling animals and exchanging currency. Most of the people had come from outside Jerusalem, and they could easily be taken advantage of. Jesus was not objecting to the commercial activity per se, because there were no prohibitions against the buying and selling of animals in the temple courts. And the people were providing the service. We might even say that they were essential workers as far as the Passover was concerned. The main reason for Jesus' action was that the whole system of worship and sacrifice had become hollow. It was being done because it had always been done. No real faith there, just going through the motions. By this action, Jesus enacted a symbolic judgment against the temple itself and everything that went on there. What Jesus did was very disruptive. He cut off the supply of animals for the sacrifices that was at the heart of the temple's purpose. 
As he drove people and animals out, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Those were the only words he spoke as he drove them out. His disciples made a connection between what they remembered from the scriptures and what they themselves had learned from it or from Jesus teaching it to them. They remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That comes from the first half of Psalm 69, verse 9. The second half of that verse reads, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. The disciples were quick to recognize the first half of the psalm that shows the powerful Jesus, but not the second half about those who insult God. They only really liked that part of it that spoke about Jesus because it was about control and dominance. They did not like the second half that spoke to what Jesus had really come to do. He had really come to make himself vulnerable to arrest and torture and death to make people right with God again. He would take what is rightly due to all people and make them his own. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Zeal for your house will consume me. The insults of those who insult you fall on me. Jesus himself did not repeat the psalm, but the disciples could see that that was what was happening. Now, zeal for God's house did not mean that Jesus wanted, wanted the temple to remain in existence forever. It did not mean that he would cleanse the temple to make it play a significant role in what he had come to do. We know that the temple was destroyed some 40 years later in 70 AD. But while it remained, it should not be a pretend place of worship, but a true place of worship. Jesus' disciples made a connection, even if not fully, between what Jesus did that day and his purpose for coming into the world. On the other hand, the Jewish leaders had no understanding of what had just happened. They did not see it as having anything to do with God's word or work. They acted with restraint, though, on this occasion. Maybe they became afraid of Jesus, even though they felt he did not have any authority to drive people and animals out of the temple courts. They knew it would have a negative impact on the economy. Offerings and sacrifices will decrease. They asked Jesus what sign, that is, what miracles he could show them to prove that he had authority to do what he had just done. He did not hesitate to tell them what the sign would be, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They were incredulous. An edifice that had taken 46 years to build, it can rebuild in three days? They showed their attachment to the temple and to its indestructibility as far as they were concerned. His disciples, too, clearly did not understand what Jesus meant at the time. Zeal for your house will consume me. Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. Knowing that the temple was destroyed about 40 years after this, we can say that the zeal that consumed Jesus for God's house is not really for that house, but for a different house. His all-consuming zeal is for you and me. He came to rescue you and me with a zeal and passion that no one else could have had. He came prepared for this. It was not an afterthought. 
He was consumed by what he had come to do for you and for me every night and every day of his life. And even before that, before he was conceived and born as a baby, when he was with the Father, he had agreed to be sent to earth for this purpose of saving humanity. He was of one mind with the Father, that his creation, that his humanity, was worth saving. And so from heaven to earth he came, bearing good news in himself for you. He would not be dissuaded by misunderstanding, opposition, or rejection. He was going to do the one thing necessary for this rescue plan to be carried out and be accepted by God in heaven. His zeal for you was all-consuming. His zeal for you would make him endure taunts and torture and trial. As the prophet Isaiah prophesied, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his or her own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus came from heaven to earth. He grew in wisdom and knowledge. He studied the scriptures. He preached. He debated. He healed. He raised people from the dead. He went to the temple in his zeal. He was not afraid of anyone. He was not deterred by the high and mighty of society. He preached to them too. He associated with the poor and despised of society. He wept with those who wept. He rejoiced with those who rejoiced. Zeal for the Lord's work consumed him. Zeal to save consumed him. He knew exactly what he had gotten himself into. But he loved you too much to quit. The leaders who were upset that he had gone to the temple that day and disrupted business realized that they could not do anything about it. But they kept trying to pin something on him so he would quit. One of the many false accusations leveled against him before he was crucified was that he had said, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another. That is not what he had said, and that is not what he had meant, and yet they were out to prove what he had meant. They were about to destroy him, the true temple. But that would not last. He would raise it up again on the third day as he had promised. They got Pilate to release him to be crucified. His zeal for you and for me and for them too consumed him. They had him crucified. They thought that would be the end of him whom they considered to be their tormentor in chief. But that would not be. As John records, by the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. He rose again victorious on the third day, victorious for you, victorious for me. And even though he is not in the world visibly as he was then, his zeal for you will not leave you alone. He disrupts your business, even if you consider it your personal business. He disrupts and turns whatever goes on in your heart upside down. He shakes it out. 
so that you will continue to be his own. He disturbs and disrupts you so that you will come to him. He will not leave you alone. He loves you too much to leave you alone. He cares about you too much to not walk beside you daily. He knows you need him. And he has never been in the business of abandoning you because if he does, somebody else is waiting. And that somebody is up to no good for your life now or in the future. Jesus gave you a gift in your baptism, a gift that is so precious it lasts forever. It never loses value. It is the same gift he has given to our little brother, Chris Magara, this morning in his baptism to be his own very dear child until he comes again in his zeal for all of you. That is all that is left for him to do because he has died and risen again for you. And he will do it because he is faithful. Amen.